come share that second message. Thank you so much. Welcome to Easter at New Hope. We're really glad that you're here. Easter is a celebration, something that's exciting because of what Jesus came to do. We celebrate Easter because of what Jesus came to do. The Bible says that at the appointed time, God sent his son at the exact time in God's plan. So 2,019 years ago, Jesus Christ came to earth and he split history into AD and BC. It is the most significant event in the universe. In the universe. Even your own birthday or birth date is in relation, it's quoted in relationship to the birth and death of Jesus Christ. Everything is split. AD, BC, from what? From what? From the death and a domine in the year of our Lord. From that event, why? So we know that that's the case, but why is this the case? Why is the whole of humanity decided to reference and pivot around this one central point? We know it is, but why? There's got to be a jolly good reason for all cultures everywhere to pivot around this inflection point. I'll tell you why it's a very important inflection point. Because Jesus Christ came to earth in the form of a human. Emmanuel is, we, we talk about that at Christmas, Emmanuel, which means God with us. God wrapped in flesh. And he came to earth in the form of a human being. And then he died on a cross. That's a scientific fact. That's why the world recognizes that. It happened. You historian buffs, you historian profs and majors know that is a fact. He came and he died. There's actually a good case for some of you here today who are thinking about Jesus Christ. There are irreducible facts that you can go back to. That doesn't matter whether you're a skeptic or a believer. Historically, we can prove these things. And the man who's the world expert in that, by the way, if you're taking notes, a man by the name of Dr. Gary Habermas. If you want to look and drill deep, I mean really deep into history in that, you check out Gary Habermas, the irreducible facts of the resurrection. You can check him out on YouTube, and you too can learn those. doesn't matter if you're a Christian or not. Facts are facts. Then he came, he died, and he rose again three days later to prove that he was who he said he was. It's one thing to claim you're God and that you're going to come back three days and tell everybody beforehand, this is what I'm going to do. Hey, you guys, just to prove it, I'm going to die. And then three days later, I'm going to come back and prove that I'm God. Now, if you're on the opposition side, you want to make sure that that tomb was well nailed and the guy was really dead. And by the way, Jesus wasn't the only person who'd been crucified. The Romans have perfected this art so well, they had crucified Tens of thousands. Some historians believe hundreds of thousands of people. They were really good at it. I used to work in the meatworks. Yeah, me. And let me tell you, those guys who killed cows are pretty good at it. They did it millions of times. I don't mean one person, but a gang of us. And they were really good. When those cows, they were dead. They really were dead because they'd done it so many times. And then you had to do this. They perfected the art. And then three days again, he rose to prove that he was who he said he was. And today, billions of people around the world are celebrating Easter. Now, the question I want to settle this morning is not what happened. We all know vaguely what happened. 
some more clearly than others. But the real question is, why? Why? This is pivotal. You need to understand the why. Now, on your outline, the most famous verse in the Bible, would you read this with me in unison? You get it? John 3.16. It's there on your outline and on the screen. Let's read it together. For God so loved the world that he, his only begotten son, that whosoever in, should not, but, that means go to heaven, by the way. Let me be real clear. Many people say, well, I believe Jesus Christ who he, um, is who he said he was. But not everybody who claims to be a believer is really a believer. I want you to know that. There are fake believers. We've got fake news. We've got fake believers. Now, that may shock some of you. It may even offend some of you. But let's see what Jesus said. He said, not everybody who calls upon, calls me their Lord, will get into the kingdom of heaven. That's a bit of a disturbing statement. Only the ones who obey my Father in heaven will get in. What's he saying here? He's saying, you can't tell a believer by what they say. You tell a believer by what they do. Just because they talk the talk does not mean they walk the walk. And that annoyed Jesus. You've got to look at what they do to see what they really believe. Because here's what happens. Your behavior shows what you really believe. doesn't matter what you say. The Bible says if you're a true believer, it will change you. It'll change you from the inside out. It'll change what you value. It'll change what you pursue, what your energy is spent on. It will change you. Look at this. If people say they have faith, but they do nothing, then their faith is worth nothing. Can faith like that save them? The man who wrote that was a skeptic. It was Jesus' brother, one of his stepbrothers, who for years thought, yeah, 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 sure you, you're God. It's like your brother claiming he was God. Then he became so convinced after he saw his brother die with his mother there, and he came back, he said, I don't care what you do to me. Well, after I've seen this. And he became the leader in the church in Jerusalem. Target number one for the Pharisees. The answer is here. Can that face say them? The answer is no. Now, there are four kind of categories of people that I, on, basically on a continuum, that I come across, and so do you, all the time. And these are saints... They are stumblers, the seekers, and then the skeptics. You may well just write those down. I haven't put them on your outline. Saints are the ones, these are the people who believe in Jesus and act like it. They walk, they talk. Their deeds are aligned with their creeds. Those are the saints. They're not perfect. None of us are perfect. But they believe in Jesus, and they're really giving a great commitment to what Jesus said. They are loving and they are kind and they are not 
living for themselves. They are not living for themselves. Then I have friends in my life just like you, and I love them just as much. And I call these people, this group of people, stumblers. And they are people who think they know Jesus, and they think they believe in him, but they really don't act like that. They don't act like him. In fact, they're living for themselves. They're not, and if you looked at their life as a Martian, you'd think, they are living no different than the world. They're doing exactly, they're pursuing what the world pursues. Their values are the same as what the world pursues. Their interests and the energy and their money and everything they do is very much like the world. The third group of friends in my life that I love dearly, and I call them seekers. They're the people who just kind of haven't made a decision yet. They're intellectually honest and they really want to know. And they're interested. The doors aren't shut, they're kind of open. In fact, they ask questions. And they effectively say, well, tell me a little more what it means to be like Jesus. A believer, a true believer. And there's the fourth group of friends in my life that I love too, and these are the skeptics. And these people haven't yet realized that life without God doesn't make a scrap of sense. They haven't realized, like Willie E. Coyote, he goes belting off the cliff, and he's sitting there in mid-air, and all of a sudden he looks down, and there's nothing supporting his, what he thought was solid. And, and there's that poof at the bottom. Remember Willie E. Coyote and Roadrunner? And all of us have friends like that in those categories. Either they know Christ and act like it, or they think they know Christ but don't act like it, or they're interested, or they haven't recognized God's presence in their life yet and in this world and in this universe. Now, as your friend this Easter, I want to settle this issue once and for all what it really means to be a believer in Jesus Christ. And the reason why I'm taking this time and God takes time is because he wants you in heaven and I want you in heaven. The Bible says whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Now that statement, if true, has profound implications for every area of your life. C.S. Lewis said the one thing Christianity cannot be is moderately important. It is impossible for Christianity, as defined by Jesus, to be moderately important because it has eternal and profound implications. So faith is like a diamond. It has many aspects to it. And there are five different angles I want to quickly look at what it means to believe to have faith. There's no particular order of priority, but they do make an acrostic faith. It's more like a memory device for me. And if it fits your bullet, my gun fits your bullet, shoot. So if you're taking notes on your outline, the very first thing that it really means to be a believer in Jesus Christ is I follow his example. If stands for I follow his example. See, everybody in this room has an example they follow. Some of you follow a guy called Tony Robbins. And you follow him in his motivational speaking. Others, Robert Kiyosaki, rich dad, poor dad. You follow him, you follow his beliefs, you follow his principles. 
Friends, if you don't decide your model in life, others will pressure you to follow them. The media, follow our lead. This is right and this is wrong. Culture and peers, other people will try to tell you how you should live. Now, I have some friends, a group of them, and around about 40, all of them seem to have a bit of a a challenge, a shock in their life. Some ended up very unexpectedly divorced at 40. Some ended up very discouraged and depressed and friendless and lonely. Why? Because many of them discovered the model that they'd chosen to follow in their lives was inconsistent and it was an ineffective model. And they invested all of their time, effort, energy and passion into the wrong things. Now I want to contrast that with Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the only perfect model and example to follow. He is the most countercultural, radical revolutionary that you could ever imagine. And it takes courage. It takes guts. It takes chutzpah to follow him. Christianity is not for sissies. It is not an easy thing to follow Jesus Christ. And he says that many times. In fact, Jesus says this, you will be blessed though whenever you follow my example. Everywhere Jesus Christ went, he told people to follow him. In fact, 21 times, I counted them this week, 21 times in the Bible, Jesus said, follow me. You follow me. He's not saying, notice, follow a code of ethics or a pattern of morality or a liturgy. He's saying, he's a person, follow me. And if you don't get anything else, I say today, please get this. God wants a relationship with you. And that's why he sent Jesus to establish a relationship between you and him. And when you begin a relationship with Jesus, what happens? You get all kinds of benefits. A couple of quick ones that come, which are not in your outline as well. The first thing you're going to get when you follow Jesus is you get clarity. Clarity. I see my relationships better. I see my purpose better. I see my future better. I see my problems better. Everything gets clearer. And I'm not so confused anymore. I'm not so distracted chasing this good idea and that good idea. I have more direction in my life. Jesus said it this way. I am the light, light of the world. And if you follow me, you won't be stumbling around through darkness. Because you'll have the light that leads to life. I was once at the top of the ASB building when it was being constructed. And some twit shut the door, and I was in the bathroom. And there were no lights, and it was pitch black. I had to use, I mean, pitch, like, can't see here. I had to use a little light in my watch to try and figure out where the jolly door was. But that little light was enough for me to see which way to go. You won't be stumbling around through the darkness, because you will have the light that leads to life. Ever felt you're just stumbling around in life? 
lacking direction. When you follow God's plan and God's purpose in life, he makes it very clear. By the way, the other side benefit, that's almost a B, and it's not even on your notes either. You get simplicity in your life. Your life becomes less complex. Anyway, second thing that happens when I follow Jesus Christ there, and again, it's not your outline, is I get stability. I get a solid foundation on which to build my life, which is not going to change. Because truth never changes. It doesn't need to change because there's no mistakes. In truth, truth is truth. Now, tomorrow, in a thousand years. Some of you have already experienced in your life storms that come along. Some of them have been relational storms. Oh yeah, relationships can shake. Finances can shake. I've been, and some of you in this room can hardly believe this. I've been through times in this country when interest rates overnight went to 35%. I know, because I was an investment marketing manager for a certain bank, and my wife was working for the competition, and we're competing for people's dollars, because people were lining up at 8 o'clock in the morning to give us their money, because they wanted to invest it at 35%. Imagine what would happen if that happened today to the mortgages. It would decimate our economy. Some of you have been through relational storms, financial storms. Some of you have been through health storms, and some of you don't know you're going to go through some health storms. You don't know that. But Jesus, that's why you need a solid foundation. And Jesus said, all who listen to my instruction and follow them are wise, like a man who builds his house upon the rock. It is solid. It is firm. So the first thing that it really means to believe in Jesus is I need to follow his example. Some of you who have been Christians, please go back and read that parable from the very beginning. Because the thing that scares me about that parable, truly, to the core, is many, many who say, claim their name, Jesus, you know, you are my Lord. He actually says at the end of it, depart from me, you never knew me. That is a very sobering parable, and I've shown you where to go find that. The second thing it really means, after following his example, to be a real believer, is I accept his grace, if a, I accept his grace. The second thing, what does that mean? Well, in Romans chapter 5, it says those who accepted, there's a word, accepted his grace. God's grace, full grace, and the great gift of being made right with him. In other words, God will wipe away all the things you've done wrong, and he freely forgives you if you accept that. If you accept Jesus' payment for your sins, then surely we'll have true life and rule through Jesus. What is grace? Grace means when God or anybody else does something for you that you don't deserve. You don't deserve it. Grace is when God gives you what you need and not what you deserve. One of the things I need most is forgiveness. Forgiveness. Because I blow it all the time. I did last week. And probably so you did too. So God says, I will forgive you of everything you've done wrong, even though you don't deserve it, if you trust in Christ. Look at this next verse. Now God says he will accept and acquit us. In other words, that's an old word that means declare you, uh, declare us not guilty for all the things we've done wrong, if we trust Jesus Christ to take away our sins. 
We can all be saved in the same way. No, this is not one way for you and one way for the Pope and one way for me. We all get saved in the same way by coming to Christ. I love this last part. No matter who we are or what we've been like. That means it doesn't matter what we've done down here. God knows that. When you went to the cross, Jesus already had the foreknowledge of what you would do. Doesn't matter whether you're a Catholic or a Methodist or a Presbyterian or a Buddhist or a Muslim. Doesn't matter. Or a Mormon. This is not about religion, friends. God says, I want to forgive you and I want to show you my grace. He is willing that none should perish. Now, there's only one way you can get that. How do you get grace in your life? You can't earn it. You can't say, well, how much is that? Can I write you a check? You can't earn it like that. You don't deserve it. You can't work for it, neither can I. The only one way you can get it is you accept God's grace, God's grace, and you need to admit your need for it. I can't get there on my own efforts, so I need your gift of grace. That's how you get it. You swallow your pride, you swallow your ego, and you realize, whoa, I can't write. I can't buy my way out of this. I can't grease my way out of this. The facts are the facts. I have committed sin. That is truth. And it needs to be erased. The only way to have it erased is through the payment of Jesus Christ's blood. So you swallow your pride and you say, I'm not perfect. Boy, that's the truth. Heaven's perfect and I'm not. And there's no chance I'm going to make it into heaven on my own merits. Because I'm not perfect. So I need your grace. I need your forgiveness. And that takes humility. The Bible says unless you accept God's kingdom in the simplicity of a child, you'll never get in. Back in my other place at the top of Gills Road before I bought the place down the back, I used to come up from when I was working in the IT world and my kids would hear my car come down the drive. The door would open and I'd be walking up the steps. I'll never forget it. My son Steve, Dad! Woof! And he'd launch himself. I'm halfway up the steps with a briefcase in hand. Woof! One son. No sooner have I done that, total trust that dad will catch him. Joshua, dad, whomph, second son, two sons, forget the briefcase. I'm staggering there, but their simplicity of faith, they believed, didn't even think twice. There's dad, he loves me, he'll catch me, I'm safe. There is something in the beauty of that simplicity that's communicated in that verse right there. In the simplicity of childlike faith. They were secure in their dad's love. Never mind that they nearly knocked their father halfway down the stairs going backwards. They just believed and they took it. That's what children do. They basically say, Daddy, here I come, or Daddy, help. And Dad can do anything. You remember those days. That's the guts of that verse right there. Easter is about the grace of God that he offers to you. Here's my question to you. Will you accept that? Will you accept his gift? That's your choice right there. If, this is is your part. This is where you do something. Will you accept it? Will you accept that free gift? The third thing that it means to really believe in Jesus, as in fake believe, is I invest my own life in him. I invest my life for him. There are three choices what you can do with your life. You can waste your life. You can spend your life. Or you can invest your life. Now if you want to waste your life, the world will give you a ton of options. A thousand ways to waste it. 
chasing fashion. Now, I'm not saying you need to look dowdy or frumpy or out of it. But I am saying be careful because that thing changes all the time. The reason it does it is to create dissatisfaction and you're looking to other people for acceptance all the time. And they'll suck money out of you like there's no tomorrow, which will mean you have to work every hour that God sends to pay that. and You'll be in debt next minute. That's a trap, that one. So you can waste your life. You can spend your life. Some people spend their life making money, trying to get pleasure, trying to have more power, more popularity. That's what the life's focused on. Storing up positions. Now, Jesus tells us there's more to life than here and now, and that is called eternity. And the purpose of life is absolutely not the acquisition of stuff. Actually, I'm in the phase of life where I'm trying to declutter, get stuff out of my house. Don't laugh, Desmond. You know what it's like. Your garage is nice and clean and it starts to self-multiply. And stuff's there all of a sudden that I even put there. And I spend my life dumping in my next door neighbor's bins, which they allow me to do. One guy showed up with a nine cubic meter bin there. I said, great. Here it all goes. Again, I've got to tell you, some of you didn't hear this last week. My mum's place, my mum is one of the great joys of my life. But let me tell you right now, you visit 133 Union Road and where everything she possibly ever owned, there's nothing but bare dirt. It's gone. The whole lot. And that is a very powerful picture. Listen, the address again is 133 Union Road. Drive by there. There's nothing, not one brick left on a brick. Not one of the possessions all gone. And Jesus tells us, you're not going to keep a thing. So why invest your whole life in just stuff which rusts, break down? I didn't need to fix my electric toothbrush the other day. Things break down around this joint. And if you spend all your time maintaining stuff, including gardens, next minute life's gone by. God made you for a reason, and he made you to fulfill his purposes. Now, by the way, don't get me wrong there. I like to fix stuff, but there's a limit to that. (laughs) Because otherwise, the things I think I own, I don't. They own me. Because I'm cleaning them, maintaining them, fixing them, insuring them. Huh? Be careful. There's a balance, and Jesus warned about that. Friends, you are free to make your choices. But you are not free of the consequences of them. The choices you and I make on this planet have eternal implications. And Jesus Christ did not come and die on the cross for your sins so that you can go to heaven and then you can just continue living a self-centered, self-focused life. That's not why he came at all. God says, I put you on earth for my purpose. And God wants you to use you in a way that you cannot even Imagine, the Bible says this, give yourself completely to God. Every part of you, that's a living sacrifice deal. You've been saved from death and you want to be tools in the hands of God to be used for his good purposes. That's your purpose. This is the greatest adventure in life, to be used by God for the purposes that he made you. Hmm. So God says that that is the difference, by the way, between success and significance. I've got loads of friends 
successful friends. But the problem I've noticed, even those with hundreds of millions of US dollars, is it doesn't satisfy. And actually their life's complicated. Why? Because we always want a little bit more. Friend, my point is, and Jesus made this point, you were made for more than success. You were made for significance. And Jesus talks about this concept of investing your life. Investing. To those who use well and invest what they've been given by God, even more will be given to them. But for those who are unfaithful with what they've been given, even what little they have will be taken from them. What is he saying here? God has made an investment in you. He's given you certain abilities and certain gifts and certain connections and the personality and certain experiences. And one day, you and I are going to have to stand before God. And he's going to ask you two questions. He's going to say, number one, first and foremost, what's most important, what did you do with my son? What did you do with him? The one I sent to earth to die for you, and to pay for your sins. Did you ever accept that gift? No, no. Didn't really see the significance. What you heard was that your pride saying that you thought you could get to heaven. Because there's only one way to get to heaven. And that's through my son. And I made it real clear. Did you follow him? Did you give your life and use your life for his purposes? And did you ever accept his grace? So that's the first question. What did you do with my son? That's a question that some of you in this room today should seriously consider. Secondly, what did you do with what I gave you? Not your neighbor, not your mother, not your brother, you. Well, Lord, I accepted your gift of Jesus, and then I had a really good time, and then I retired, and then I died. What? That is absolutely the wrong answer. He's going to say, do you think I put you on earth just to live for yourself? Look at the ROI. Sorry to use the term, but it's in the scriptures. Return on investment. If you follow the purposes, God's purposes for your life, rather than my own plans, I want you to notice the the difference in the reward here. Matthew 19, 27, you can read it. Peter said to Jesus, Lord! We've given up everything for you. I mean, we had businesses, remember? We had businesses that were successful. We sold fish, we had a whole fleet of boats. We've given up everything. What will we get out of it? He's asking the ROI question. And Jesus replied, I assure you of this. In heaven, anyone who has given up anything to follow me, by the way, what's the implication? you will give up some things. You may give up houses or land or people or jobs or family. You will give that up. He who has given up anything to follow me will receive a hundred times as much in return and will inherit eternal life. So he says, whatever you give up, to do God's plans and purposes, you get eternal life restored and restored a hundredfold in eternity. Now, I'm telling you, there's nothing on earth that can beat that ROI, and that's from the man who made it all. Folks, there are not places, many places in the world that are as blessed as New Zealand. I've lived in four countries. Why did God put us here? In good old New Zealand, just so we could be fat cats and enjoy it all and forget 
and enjoy his heart even and forget about his plans and purposes for the world. Actually, God said, for God so loved the world. No, we are blessed by God to be a blessing to others, to do something with our lives to help make the world a better place. Some of you this morning have asked this question a few times, and it goes like this. God, what could I do? What could I do? And here's my answer to you. Whatever you're good at. Maybe it's something that you're good at at work. You can use that for God's kingdom. It can be used to help other people. And that's what part of it means to believe in Jesus. T. Trust. You trust his wisdom and his strength. That's trust. That's better. I'm looking at the right thing here. Great. The Bible says this in Colossians 2.6. Just as you trusted Christ to save you, okay, so just as you know, trust him with each day's problems too. Anybody got problems? Yeah. Those problems come up daily. Trust him with each day's problems. Oh, God's not interested. Well, actually, the Bible says right there, that's a flat contradiction to that thought. So take that lie out of your head and put this verse in. Reload the new app in your head. This is the truth. Trust him each day with each day's problems too. Live in vital union with him. You trust him at the beginning of this life of faith, and then you trust him for each day's problems too. It's about trust. Faith is about trusting God's wisdom and God's strength in our daily life. See, wisdom shows me what to do, what to do, and strength gives me the power to be able to do it. I've got to have both. Romans 8, 28 says this, For we know that all things, in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. So here's the deal. Even in the worst that life can throw at you and me, God is working for my good in that, and he's working to develop my character, even though the external circumstances can be rugged. So Jesus says this, When you trust me, I will give you strength and power. In fact, look at this here in Philippians 4.13. It says, I have the strength to face all conditions by the power that Christ gives me. He gives you both when you trust him. How do you know when you're not trusting him? There's a red light flashing. Like on your dashboard. Because worry. 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 That says that exact moment you're not trusting him. One of the sure signs you're not trusting him is worry. Because Jesus Christ can help you with your worry. One of the classic verses you should remember, memorize, so it's right in the tip of your tongue and in your heart and soul is from 1 Peter 5, 7. Cast all your anxiety on him, for he cares for you. This is personal. See, there's a lot of ways to deal with daily worry. Sometimes I find it helpful to sing a song that has a truth of God's word in the lyrics that affects the area. And the reason why is if I sing that right song, it has an ability to reset my thinking. Reset my thinking. So I'm meditating on the truth, and it'll reset my heart, and then eventually it'll work its way out into emotions. And it'll help me think a godly way 
not a negative way. Now, if some of you are looking for a good song, we can send you one out on Spotify this week. If you want that, just um, you can either look it up. It's by Rick Mutcher, and it's called Trust God. If you don't know where to get that, just put in the communication card. We'll flick you an email, and you can click the link and have a listen to that. And that'll encourage your heart. Now, the last facet of faith, the H, is this. Hold on to God's promises. Hold on. Did you know in the Bible there are many promises of God, from God, to you directly? There are promises that say that a promise of provision, that I'll meet your need. The promises of protection. I'll watch out for you. Promises of peace. I was listening to a beautiful song this morning about peace. Did you know that in the Bible... There are promises about comfort when you're down. There are promises about loneliness. There are lots of opportunities for you to learn to trust God. And the reason why you worry all the time is you don't know what God's promises do in your life. Now the Bible tells us that God is truth and God cannot lie. In fact, the Bible says this here. God can't break his word, all these promises that he's made, So we who have trusted our very lives to God have every reason to grab the promised hope with both hands and never let go. Never let go. Now some of you don't know those promises. Again, I spent some time this week yanking out a good number of promises from the scriptures. If you'd like some of those, just write promises on your communication card and we'll make sure your email's on there and we'll flip those to you this week. So you can take a look through some of those. Because how can you use those promises if you don't know where they are and what they say? Now one of the great promises in your Bible is a promise that God says, I will never stop loving you. Oh boy, that's a good one. Oh boy, that's a good one. Your boyfriend may, your wife may even do that for a while. Or your husband, but I tell you what, God never will. Stop loving you. Here it goes. It says, nothing will ever be able to separate us from his love. Death can't. And angels can't. Demons can't. So, point, 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 point. Some people sometimes play up the power of those jokers. They ain't. They are all subject to God's power. God is all powerful. And he chooses to let Satan play in the sandbox. He says, that's how far you can go no further. It's not, well, Satan's on one side and God's on the other. No, 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 no. God has all of the power. He could, you know, do you know how he's going to say Satan, say, slay Satan in the end? What does the scripture say? By the power of his breath, you'll kill him. He's nothing. Under God, under God, do not give the enemy too much Focus. Focus on God, not the opposition. Our fear, what else? Nothing will ever be able to separate us from his love. Our fears for today. That won't separate us. Our worries about tomorrow, our future. Even the powers of hell. There we go again. Can't keep God's love away. Whether high above or the deepest ocean, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus. Friends, this is a good point. You cannot stop God loving you. Because God's love is not based on your performance. Thank the Lord. <laughs> it's not based on my performance. It's based on who he is, which never changes. And he says, I will never stop loving you. Some of you have been hurt in life. 
Some of you have been lied to and deceived. Some of you have been betrayed. And you've actually thought these words, I don't know who I can trust anymore. I don't know who I can believe. Well, Jesus says this, I am the truth. And the truth will set you free. Sometimes, though, let me be clear, the truth can sometimes be painful because it confronts us of our sin. What you need in your life is freedom, and he will always tell you the truth. Maybe you felt bruised emotionally or physically by the storms of life, and Jesus Christ says to you, if you trust me, I can heal your hurt. I can turn your ashes into beauty if you'll give them to me. Maybe you feel like you're being cast off and rejected by somebody. And you know the pain of rejection. Maybe you feel unwanted. And Jesus says this to you, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I will never abandon you. Even though your mother will abandon you, I will not. That's how strong and solid his love is. Maybe you got, for you, you feel you got burnt in life. And it's all gone up in smoke. And again, he says, I'll give you beauty for ashes. The Bible says your past can be forgiven. You can be given a purpose for living. And you can have a future in heaven secured. Past, present, and future. Nobody can offer that apart from Jesus Christ. Because Jesus came at Easter and died on the cross and rose again. It says this. Jesus said, I am the one who raises the dead and gives them life again. Anyone who believes in me, even though he shall die, he's talking about uh, shall live again, he's talking about heaven. He is given eternal life for believing in me and shall never perish. And then lastly, the Bible says this, because Jesus was raised from the dead, that's what Easter is all about today. We've been given a brand new life, that means you get a second chance, and you get to start over. And everything to live for, that, friends, is a new purpose for life. And it includes a future in heaven, and that starts now. So you say, how do I get it? How do I take that first step? Well, first of all, you simply give up your fear. You don't let fear keep you from being what you were created to enjoy. And I've written there on your outline, a believer's prayer. I just want to look through that with you. Then I want us to pray that together, if that's what you want to do. But always like a template, something to follow. So I've written there on your outline and here on the screen. It says, Dear Jesus, I want to have real faith in you, not fake faith. Thank you for dying for my sins and showing me the way to live. Today, I want to become a true believer in you and I want to follow your example. That was point one. I want to accept your gift of grace. I need your forgiveness and mercy. You made me for a purpose and I want to invest my life in serving you. I want to trust your wisdom and strength and I want to hold on to your promises when times are tough. Friends, this is what it means to be a true believer. The Bible says, whoever believes in me shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Are you ready to accept that? Let's pray. I'm going to pray this again. 
Friends, you don't even have to close your eyes if you don't want to. You can keep them open and look at the prayer and you can follow along with me and go, yep, me too, God. Or you can read aloud with me in your mind as I read this. But my point is, if you want to accept that, make this your prayer. So dear Jesus, I want to have real faith in you, not a fake faith. Thank you for dying for my sins and showing me the way to live today. I want to become a true believer in you and I want to follow your example. I want to accept your gift of grace. I need your forgiveness and I need your mercy. You made me for a purpose and I do want to invest my life in serving you. I want to trust your wisdom and strength and I want to hold on to the promises when times are tough. Father, thank you for your word, which is clear, convicting. Father, I pray today that out of this group of people, for those who haven't known you and have been open, I pray that today your spirit would work in their lives and move them forward to accept you. Father, for those who have been Christians in a while and somehow have become familiar, I pray today your spirit would help them see with fresh eyes, open the eyes of my heart, Lord, the things, the beautiful gift that you've given to us. And I pray today that you would move these people, Father, to be more like your son Jesus, each one of us, me included, to be living sacrifices for you. Thank you that you sacrificed yourself for us.